Good morning. Our scripture today is from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen, chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me for one moment? Lord, as we look to you this scripture, we pray that uh, your spirit would be with us to open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds and our hearts that we might be changed, that we might encounter more than just a, a kernel of truth, that we might encounter you in a real way through this time. And may my words be useful to you and to your church, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Depending on who I've spoken with over the years, you can kind of get a feel for how a person is wired when they talk about their spiritual life. For some, the spiritual life is a very contemplative and internal um, spiritual uh, journey. For some, it's a very expressive spiritual life. We saw that in, in, in a couple of sermons ago when the, the one woman was crying and weeping over Jesus' feet, to whom much is forgiven, they love much, right? And then there's some the, the groups of people that kind of collect around being more contemplative versus expressive. If you go to a, a, a charismatic church, you're probably going to find a lot more um, expressive nature within the community. A little more hand raising, occasionally some dancing in the aisles, and who knows what. But if you go to a Presbyterian, I don't know if you've ever been to a Presbyterian church before. Um, the first Presbyterian church I was ever attended and, and, and listened to, the, the pastor described themselves as the frozen chosen. And I thought that was kind of a little humorous until I went to a Lutheran church and then I met the real ones. Um, now, it's, it's interesting how we have this, this contrast. And it's not just between how we worship, but it's what, how, we, how we live out our worship during the week. And so some people are, uh, I would say, a little more active. They're a little bit more of the, the, they can't sit on their hands for too long. They can't let the grass grow. They can't let a, a shelf be uncluttered or undusted, right? The doers, the active faith people versus the contemplative people. The people who are, some, some people are, are just drawn to just reading the great works of the great writers of old. Some people are, are committed to just delving into the Bible and, and sometimes find themselves wanting to go late to work so they can sit and just drink their coffee, and read their Bible a little bit more in the morning. And others, the idea of reading the Bible is like, oh, is there an app on the way to work that I can just have it read to me? Part of, most of that is actually what? Personality-based, isn't it? It's personality-based. It's, it's temperament. It's, it's your skill set. One of my dearest friends from college is, uh, he's got his degree in engineering, and he, he never wants to live a book in his life. But he's who I call when I need a, a, a new dishwasher put in. Because I have a lot of books that I like to lift, um, but 
let's just say you don't want me to help you put the garbage disposal in or the dishwasher or really anything that revolves around a tool. So what's the right way? What's the right way to follow Jesus, to worship? Now, most often when this passage was read to me, this kind of a, 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 a concept, it's like Martha and Mary, these two sisters from Bethany, they become the archetypes of the doer versus the contemplative. They become the archetypes of two forms of following and worshiping Jesus. And we have this little moment where they come in, where Jesus is welcomed in and he's on his way to Jerusalem, which is kind of a heavy time because we know now that he was on his way to Jerusalem to face persecution, to face rejection, to face execution. But these ladies didn't know that. They just knew that the distinguished person was here. And from other gospels, we pick up that they have a relationship. But just let's stick to what Luke said. And we just have these two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha is probably the older sister. It's probably the one who represents the household. And, and when he entered the village, a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what was said. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, do you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. Ooh. I don't know. Um, I, I feel for you uh, only children who never had the beauty and the precious memories of sibling fights. I had so many of them in the backseat of the car on family vacations where we would drive for 10 hours. 10 hours in the backseat. It's where bonds are truly made. <laughs> where the parents shower you with, I will turn the car around and go home. Uh, do you want me to pull this over? Yeah, only children. You just got to learn to have adult conversations early. And here the sisters are, now adults, and I think this is the most beautiful thing. You can see, even when we become adults, we know how to treat each other. We know how to be cordial and even disagree. But then you bring a sibling around, and all of a sudden, 12-year-olds pop up again. And here they are. So here's the archetype. You have the doer. I'm in the back prepping everything. Jesus, the, the person of honor, has arrived, and there's so much to do. Who's setting the table? Who's making sure the water jugs are filled? Who's making sure the glasses are out? Who, who's going to check on, on whatever's baking somewhere? Who's going to check on the bread? Did we get enough? We need to run to the store and get sage. We need some sage. I don't know if they had a store or if they had sage, but let's just pretend they did. Martha's distracted. Her head is scattered because Jesus has arrived and she needs to put out a proper home. And one of the things that we have learned is that Middle Eastern culture absolutely prizes and values hospitality. It's a life and death issue in a desert world, in a desert climate. If you're estranged, you need to be welcomed in and you need to be fed. And there's a way to be fed and there's a way to present and there's a way to welcome. I may have shared with you this before, but when I went to Ghana... That culture had a very strict and direct way that you greeted one another. 
You come in, you had a formal greeting, you have a proper sit down, someone come and bring you water, you have a sip of water, they ask you the news, you tell the news, the kind of the what and the why you're there or what's been happening. And then once you finish all that formal greeting, that's when you can sit back and go, hey, how you doing? And you can be real people again. You have to go through the formal things. And I know that this culture had its own formal ways of doing greetings. And Martha was going to honor those traditions. But Mary, she just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and keep hearing him talk. Mary, Martha's the doer, Mary's the learner and the worshiper. So which is the right one to be? Well, depending on the personality of the preacher, you can get an emphasis on probably who they are by how they interpret the text. I think, by and large, we know that the text is cited against Martha because Jesus is the one that says, well, Mary's in the right on this one. You're distracted and you're worrying about everything. You have anxiety. And she's focused on the one thing, and that's me. So, on one hand, we could say, and we could have a really lovely sermon here that we could wrap up and, and go right into communion with, uh, it's important that we do good works. It's important that we do the good hospitality. It's important that we are doers of the activities. But a doing with the activities without the good connection to the gospel is now empty. And we could all say amen and pass the plate, right? But I don't, I don't believe that's exactly what's happening here in this text. Seems a little weak, especially since this is the moment where Jesus is really getting closer to Jerusalem. He's been traveling from the north, and he's been working his way towards where people tell him not to go. There's trouble in Jerusalem for you. So earlier in this chapter, he sent out 72 to go to the, the, the neighboring towns and to go and bring peace and to bring the message of peace to them. And if they received you, live off of whatever hospitality they provide. Whatever meals they give you, eat it. Enjoy. And if they don't, take your sandals off, brush the dust off them, and, and uh, walk away. That's kind of an intense training seminar for their 70, for their core team that he's raising up. And then he goes in to the next uh, time where he has a, a moment with a gentleman who, who asks, you know, what do I do to be saved? He says, honor the Lord God with all your heart and mind, and then uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the man trying to flex a little and still look good. Well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> that is always a good thing, by the way. If, you're to be, if you are commanded by the teacher to love your neighbor, let's define our terms and say, well, who do you mean by my neighbor? And if you remember, Jesus went into the story about a person who was on the road to Jericho who was robbed and was beaten and was laying there dying. And a Levite passed by and did not have time because he had, uh, you know, pressing church matters. <laughs> and the priest passed by and he went to the other side of the road. And then a Samaritan. And again, many of you may know this, but the Samaritan is about as gross a, a, a kind of person Jesus could have brought up to a good Jewish person. They, they did not like each other. To keep it light and fun and less tense, it might be there's a, a Philadelphian on the side of the road, and then a, a person decked out in cowboy's gear walks by and puts him on his horse and takes him to the inn and pays for him. A Cowboys fan is capable of that kind of goodness? No. 
A Cowboys fan is, the, is capable of that kind of decency? No. Well, obviously, the way they felt towards their Samaritan brethren was even worse. They, their, their name for them was dogs. So Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? And it's the one who showed hospitality, the one who showed love, the one who did, was a doer. Wasn't just a sayer, wasn't just a memorizer of scripture, wasn't just a, a, a one who con, uh, contemplated the, the finer things of the Lord. It was the one who acted out on behalf, even if it meant loving an enemy, even if it meant loving someone who calls you a dog. Then the chapter closes with this text. Now we have, see hospitality in a different light. Martha opens her home. She welcomes Jesus in. Hospitality, right? It's the good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the culturally ex expected thing to do. N.T. Wright said, the real problem between Martha and Mary wasn't the workload in the kitchen. No, the real problem was that Mary was behaving as if she were a man. You see, in every culture, there's divided spaces between men and women. In this culture, there was the divided space of, of duties, of literal spaces. The, that front parlor room would be the space for welcoming somebody in was the space for the men to gather and to greet each other. Even in our world today, there's divided spaces and workloads and so forth. I mean, if you need an example of it, just wait till Thanksgiving and see who is in doing the dishes and who's watching football after the meal. Now, I hope that this enlightened congregation is the opposite of that historic trend, but I know how it was when I grew up. And I know what the data says about divided workloads. We still have this idea that certain forms of work and spaces, and this is even more so in first century Judaism, because men and women weren't supposed to just fraternize and chit-chat. That was inappropriate. And the only people who broke that were people who were, well, sinners. People who, were, who did not respect those boundaries that had inappropriate male-female relationships, male-female interactions, were, they were, well, inappropriate. There were divided spaces. And Mary was breaking several of the codes. So she was breaking the space, the public room where the men went and would talk. She was sitting there. The duties, the cultural hospitality required certain offered drinks and food and performed with engendered roles. And then the role. The role is the biggest thing, the biggest clue that we have here. She was sitting at his feet. Now, that could be just a description of where she was sitting. And, but that's, that's a phrase that's used. In, in Acts, uh, Paul talks about he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That was a very common phrase to say, this was your teacher. If there was a rabbi and you were his disciple, you would sit at his feet. Right? And you've heard that expression before. You sit at the feet of the one whom you're learning from. The other thing about that sitting at the feet is you also hope to then become what down the road after you finish your, and complete your education and your training? You too want to be able to teach. You too want to share what you learned from your master. If you take a look at what Plato did sitting at the feet of Socrates, and then Plato became the master and had his own students, and they had their students. And you know how it goes. 
If you take a look at our modern day educational system, that's why we get PhDs, so that you can go teach more classes to teach other people to become PhDs. It's a self-fulfilling cycle. My apologies to anybody who has a PhD. I love it, it's great, I'm excited. I, most of my contemporaries when I was in university and was studying philosophy, that what he's taking philosophy for? And I would often quote the great Bruce Lee, who was also a philosophy major. He said, I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm here to think deep thoughts about being unemployed. But most often, these higher education moments are for the enrichment of the soul, the betterment of society, but also the per perpetuating the educational system. And that was the sitting at the feet. And here's Mary, not helping out with the hospitality duties, not respecting the boundaries of the room and the space of where one would typically welcome the guest. But moreover, she's sitting at the feet and learning like a disciple. Note, this breaking of the first century gender codes has little to do with a modern-day women's movement. Not that there aren't overlaps and things that can be encouraging each other. Uh, N.T. Wright stated on this issue, Jesus' valuation of each human being is based not on abstract egalitarian ideas, but on the overflowing love of God. Like a great river breaking its banks into the parched countryside, irrigates those parts of human society which until now had remained barren and unfruitful. Jesus said, Martha, she chose the right thing. She chose to sit here. Mary, N.T. Wright went on to say, Mary stands for all those women who, when they hear Jesus speaking about the kingdom, Know that God is calling them to listen carefully so they can speak of it too. That's good news. And that fits with what Luke has been doing time and time again. Luke is not writing the early first form of feminism. No, he's writing that God loves every person. Every person? Who's my neighbor? Who does God love? God loves the woman who was caught in sin. God loves the woman who had a reputation that Jesus should have known. God loves the person who's weeping on his feet and breaking all forms of propriety and code. God loves the Samaritan. God loves the person who's been beaten and stranded. God loves the woman who's just sitting at his feet and wants to learn of the kingdom. Learn of Jesus and follow him and be his disciple. Not for the empowerment of any particular group, but for the inclusion of all groups into Jesus' new world and new community and his new kingdom. So I hope we can see that just creating Martha and Mary to be archetypes of contemplative and, and uh, active spiritualities is a little bit limited. It's a little bit missing the point. So one final observation that I have on this text. We see that Mary was sitting there because she could see that Jesus was the real focus of the event. Not the meal, not the snacks, not the beverages, not the codes and social codes of being upheld. This was a chance to sit with Jesus and he was teaching and he was sharing and he was telling them of the good things of God. 
She could see that that was more important. Now, doesn't mean that they didn't have to eat and somebody had to serve it and somebody had to get, we can't just stop all life. But let's look at how Martha responded. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus. Here's how I think Martha is missing the point. It isn't that she's doing her, her desired role or expected role. It's that she's mad that other people aren't abiding it. And she's focused on, well, herself. Three times in that, don't you care that my sister has left me? Don't you care that I do, I'm doing all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Three times she highlights herself. And let's be honest, we've all been there. We have all been there asking who's setting the table. We've all been there asking who, who can help make the gravy, who can stir this pot, who, especially if it's a big to-do, not an ordinary meal. An ordinary meal one person can handle, but when it becomes an extraordinary time, we need all hands on deck, don't we? Now, of course, too many chiefs in the kitchen spoil the pot or whatever the, the old phrase goes. But ultimately, if everybody comes and does their role, it goes so much smoother. And Martha is just focused on that. And she was worried about providing the hospitality when she was unable to see and be in the present. To truly be present to Jesus and his needs and his desires in that moment. According to Jesus, Mary understood the importance of the one thing. Martha was scattered by many inconsequential tasks. It reminds me when Jesus taught in Matthew, chapter, eight, chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Out of all the Beatitudes, this one is my personal favorite because it took me the most work to grapple with what I believe Jesus was saying. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? I think it reduces down to being single-minded. You've all seen it when uh, kids start to have affections for one another. They say things like, oh, I love you forever. And you all laugh because you know they don't know what that means. And then it's pretty amazing how, oh, I, I, I have to break up. And they love somebody the next week, right? Because there's... They're not pure in heart, are they? They're scattered. They're immature. They're distracted. They're everywhere. Do you know what it's like to be with somebody in a conversation where you're looking them in their eye and they keep picking up their phone, right? That conversation is not pure in heart, is it? You know what it's like to be at work with somebody or to work with somebody who's, well, maybe taken on more than they can do so that they have one foot in every committee, but aren't really completing any of the work that they need to be doing. They are distracted. They're filled with worry. And they're not pure in heart. But when we are pure in heart towards God, that's when and how we see God. If you want to see God at work, be devoted to him. Don't be distracted and run away. It's amazing to me how many people tell me, oh, I just don't see God answering my prayers. Okay, well, tell me about your prayers. Well, I don't really pray much anymore because I don't see God. I'm, not, I'm fine with working through doubts. Doubts are actually good tools of God to help us grow. But often we say, I'm just walking away and call it doubts. Often we do inactivity. We don't seek God and then we wonder why we don't see him. 
We, we find ourselves distracted by multiple different loves. Um, Jesus himself said you can't li- love God and what? Mammon or money. You can't have your heart set on both because one will overtake the other. Our idols, our loves, our distractions, they, they keep us from seeing. And I think Martha, well-intended, genuinely, was distracted from seeing the Lord God Almighty is in my home. That's more important than biscuits and jam. Mary could see it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Mary was single-minded and was listening. Mary was single-minded and was sitting at the feet of the Lord, who gave her permission to be there, who granted her, who said she chose the right thing to desire to be my disciple so that she can, in turn, share what she learned and what she heard and what she received. She sat at the feet of the Lord, the giver of life. This also reminds me of Paul's, old man Paul, his encouragement to young Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There's a good example of someone who sat at the feet of. Timothy sat at the feet of Paul, and now he's been trained up. Even though he's a young man, he's a trained up, and he's now leading the church in Ephesus, the, the, the Ephesian church. That's a big honor. That's a big church. Stay focused on Christ, he reminds him. And then make sure what you learn from me by sitting at my feet, pass on to others who are sitting at your feet. Then he said to them, join with me in suffering. It's like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier. He gives three different pictures here. So let's, let's hear this. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. And then he says, like the teacher might, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. I think Paul would encourage Martha to reflect on these things too. And I think maybe that's what we can take away, not just am I a doer or am I contemplative? And should I add more of the other or should I just camp out in where I'm at or should I just have a better attitude about it when somebody isn't like me? No, I think what we're being called to think about is let us be pure at heart. Let us be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let us be the good soldier of Christ Jesus. Let us learn from the soldier who does not get tangled up in civilian affairs. The issues of this world, the fights online, the fights amongst our neighbors, the issues over whether or not we need X, Y, or Z. Oh, we fret about everything, don't we? As a culture, we're just filled with desire to fuss about something. Let's not get caught up in civilian affairs. Let's stick to the things that Jesus called us to be focused on because that's plentiful. We will have more on our plate if we focus on Jesus and what he's called us to do than getting caught up in all the local issues. Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crowning unless they compete according to the rules. 
Let's stay focused and let's follow Christ the way he's asked us to follow him. And the hardworking farmer should get the first, be the first to receive a share of the crops. There's another passage where they talk about the farmer as one who, uh, once he puts his hand to the plow, he doesn't break. The dinner bell could ring, and he's going to what? Finish that line. Because what happens if you look away while you're... Have you ever been on the road driving and then just turned your head to look behind you? Have you ever noticed that you don't tend to be in the same part of the lane? Even though we know we're driving, and I'm just going I'm, I'm to... I'm locking the arm in. I'm locking it in. And then our perspective changes... Oh, I swerved. Do you think that's the way our spiritual lives are too? Do you think that's a reflection of human nature? I think so. So for us today, what do we take from this? Let's be, in this instance, like Mary, recognizing that we need to be single-minded, pure in heart, pursuing Jesus, because there is where we find the words of life. There is the one who speaks with authority. There is the one who came and told us that all are welcome. All are able to be at his feet. All are able to be disciples. You have a divine calling on your life in Jesus Christ. You have a divine purpose to your life in Jesus Christ. So let us cast off the civilian affairs that distract. And let us focus on Jesus so that we can hear and we can see, and we can follow him. Let's take hold of the one thing. I guess, what do they say? The, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's great on a coffee mug, but it's harder to live. But I think that is our calling. So my question, I think Mary gets this. The question is, do we? Lord, I pray that you would help us and guide us to follow Jesus to hear.